Hey, welcome everybody. Glad to have you guys here at New Life. Is everybody excited to start the year at New Life? Right on. All right. Well, hey, listen, I want to say hello to all of you that are here worshiping with us in our main auditorium. I also want to say a big hello to all of you that are worshiping with us down in the venue. I'm excited. I love you guys down there. And also our, our family, uh, part of our family that worships with us live right now out in North Platte. We want to say a big hello to you. And I want to personally say from myself and from my wife and from our pastoral staff, Happy New Year to you. We're going to be praying that 2016 is a dynamic year spiritually for your heart. For your heart. We can't control all the outside sources, but one of the things we want to do is we want to coach you in a journey to know more about Jesus than you've ever known before and to become more like Christ than you ever have before. Our, our whole theme through this year is going to be focused on building Christ-centered spiritual character. So it's going to be a blast. We're going to be on an exciting journey. We're kicking the, we're kicking the year off with a teaching series we've entitled End of Days. End of Days. I think it's better said with a low voice because it's this kind of sounds more like authentic end of days, that kind of a thing. Because if you kicked off the teaching series, you said it's going to be the end of days teaching series and someone went, it's the end of days teaching series. It just doesn't sound, it just doesn't have the same kind of intensity as the end of days. Wow. And we even got feedback in the main auditorium. That's awesome. I love it. So thank you. Okay. So anyways, the end of days is we're kicking it off. Hey, there's been a lot of movies a lot of books, a lot of articles, and a lot of so-called YouTube, you know, experienced people talking about the end of days, the last days. Have you guys read a book, watched a movie, read an article um, in your lifetime about the end of days? Has anybody ever read anything like that? You ever seen anything like that? All right. Everywhere, no matter what auditorium you're at, you know, hands are up, are up all over the place. Have you read or seen a movie or anything like that even in the last 12 months? I know I have. Right? Yeah, it, it just continues. It's like it never ends. There's this, this constant barraging of this topic. <clears throat> and, the reason, and the reason for that is it's a hot topic. A lot of people, they want to know, how will the end of days, how will it affect me? Right? What's it going to do to me? What's going to happen to me? And so we go to, uh, we go to scripture texts like, you know, the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel. How many of you guys have read the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel? How many of you guys, just, it made perfect sense to you, like all the way through? All right, we have, we have two people in the auditorium that are liars. Um, I, oh, did I say that out loud? They're experts. All right, so um, just joking, just joking. Yeah, I mean, I've read those books, and I would encourage you to read those books. You know why? Because they're part of the Bible, and I am a proponent of reading the Bible. So, yes, read them, but you just got to know something, you know? I mean, after the first couple of chapters of the book of Revelation, things get kind of crazy. You know, there's some great things that happen in the book of Daniel, but then there's some moments where things just kind of go haywire. Um, and you, you try to connect all the dots together, but it just doesn't seem like there's this clear understanding of what all of this data that you're reading really is trying to say. Even Jesus spoke quite a bit about the end of days. In the book of Matthew chapter 24 especially, that old chapter is just, it's just laced with Jesus talking about the end of days. And Jesus comes out and he gives us some pretty clear statements 
But he never really clarifies the true timeline of it. He says there's going to be wars, there'll be rumors of wars, there'll be famine, there'll be earthquakes, you know, there'll be uh, nations that rise up and powerful people that come. Uh, there'll be, you know, um, fathers that turn against their sons and sons against their fathers. Uh, there'll be many false prophets. Jesus even says at the end of time that many people will turn away from the faith. And that's sad. It's sad to hear that, but that's, what, that's even what Jesus said. But again, there's no clear timeline on when does it happen, right? He doesn't tell us, and neither does the book of Revelation or Daniel. It doesn't seem like it really lets us know when is the actual moment for these types of things. And I think that's a big question on all of our hearts and our minds. You know, when will this kind of stuff happen? Well, here's some things that we can know for sure. Um, and one of those is, uh, is found in in really 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's our key text. If you, if you have a Bible with you, please go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's where we're going to preach out of for this entire teaching series. But here's what verse 1 has to say. It says, you should know this, Timothy. It's Paul writing to Timothy. This is a young man that he's trained and groomed and he's sent off for ministry. That in the last days, Timothy, there'll be very difficult times, period. I like that. Um, I, I don't like the fact there's going to be very difficult times, but I like it's just clear. It's just plain. It's straight up. It just tells you right off the bat, there's going to be very difficult times. One of the interesting things is I studied that very difficult times is you could, you could interchange the words with perilous times. Now, when you hear the word perilous times, that kind of starts to give you the in true interpretation of what's getting ready to happen here. The other thing you might find interesting about that statement, very difficult times, is that it's only used twice in the entire New Testament. Very difficult times. The second time that it's used are, you know, in this situation, if you're reading from the, in the New Testament, it's written in the book of Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus goes across the lake. He gets out of the boat, steps onto the shore, and out of the hills where there's a cemetery, two demon-possessed men come running down at him. And that's where it's referred to as a, another perilous moment, as a, as a dangerous moment, as a, as a moment with, that's troublesome, as a moment that's going to be hard to bear. Both that moment and this moment that Paul's writing to Timothy talking about the last days are going to be very difficult, those two moments were identified with the same verbiage, and both times are moments when man doesn't want to be there, man doesn't want to be around. So, when will the end of days start? When will they start? Or maybe the question is, when did they start? How do you know which one is true? Have they started? Have they not started? Well, let's go find out the answer to that before we jump into this end of days teaching series. So we're going to go to 1 Peter. Peter is um, he's one of the original disciples of, of Christ. He's one of the twelve. Peter's writing this book, most likely from Rome, and he's writing it to Christians. Many think he could have been even writing it to people that were considering to become a Christian, to become a follower of Christ, to be baptized in water. He was wanting them to know what the true cost was, and also to Christians, what the true cost of Christianity really is. And I can appreciate a man like that, and I can appreciate his forethought in trying to coach the church on how they're supposed to live in this first century moment. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, what does he tell us about when 
the, the end of days starts. He says, God chose him, meaning Jesus. He chose him as your ransom long before the world began. Hold on. First off, let me just say this to you. God is not reactionary to man and man's sins. God is proactive. So before the world began, God sent and he knew he was going to have to send Jesus to humanity. So God isn't scrambling to try to fix things that man keeps breaking. God had a plan from the beginning. And I want you to know that about our Lord, about our God, about our King. He has a plan. He's not scrambling to try to keep up. So long ago, right, he sent Jesus as a ransom. Now, after the comma, but... He has now revealed him, being Jesus, to you in what days? In these last days. So God had a plan from the beginning, but in the last days, he sends Jesus. He reveals Jesus to you. That's what Peter says. He's revealing him to you in the last days. Well, what time frame was this book even written? Many, many think that this book was written probably somewhere in 60 to 65 A.D., this is somewhere 30 to 35 years after Jesus is, is died on the cross and risen from the grave. So 30-some years after Jesus dies on the cross and raises from the grave, here is one of the patriarchs of the faith saying to the church, hey, it's the last days, people. Wake up, smell the coffee. You know, you better be wise to what's going on. And you know what? Those people in that time period, they had an awakening take place. Because in 64 A.D., the Emperor Nero was, was in charge at that time, which was one, he, was, he, had, he reigned from tyranny, and, and he was the kind of guy who did massive persecution to the church and to Christians at that time. In 64 AD, Rome caught, catches on fire. It burns for 10 days. 75% of the city burns down. Guess who gets the blame for it? The Christians do. Nero steps up to the plate and he says, Christians, you guys are the ones who, uh, who burnt the city down. And so here we are, this letter from Peter has just been written, the church has it in their hands and they're reading it, and now this massive persecution starts taking place to where some historians even wrote that Nero was so wicked that he would dip Christians in oil in the evening, impale them on a stake, and light them on fire, and burn them so he could see in his court at night. And now, I don't know about you, but if I'm living during those days and I've just read this letter from Peter, I'm thinking to myself, we are at the end of the end of the days. It can't get much worse than this. But you do realize that's not even 2,000 years ago, right? We still, we still have about 15 more years to live before we actually even get to 2,000 years on that moment. So here's these believers that are living and they're, they're facing this massive persecution and Peter's writing to them and he's saying, only 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, I'm saying to you, this is the end of days. Now, what's interesting is that Peter uses this phrase, the end of days, even much earlier than that moment. In fact, Peter used the phrase, the end of days, just days after Jesus' death and his resurrection. He said it in Acts chapter two, verse 17. Why don't you read this with me, all right? In the last days. In the last days. Peter says to this crowd, God will say, 
God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Peter was at this moment of Pentecost where the power of the Holy Spirit has come. He's fallen upon this group of believers that are praying in the upper room. It's like tongues of fire that's resting upon them. They begin praising God in all these other languages while this festival is taking place in Jerusalem. And all of these people that have come from all these different you know, lands and groups that speak all these different dialects of language are hearing God being praised in their name, in their language. Peter has to come out of the upper room and start explaining to all these people what in the world's going on. And guess how he starts his, his sermon? He starts his sermon standing on the streets, preaching to this large group of people by declaring to them, in the last days. You know what that tells all of us? When did the last days start? Last days basically started at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. When will the last days end? When will the end of days end? At the return of Christ. So that tells you and me right now, we live in the end of days. There's no guesswork about it. There's no wondering, are we or are we not? Did this sign happen? Did that sign happen? By the definition of God's word, you and me live in the end of days. So what are you going to do since you live in the end of days? Are you going to be like the doomsday prepper guys? You seen that show? Are you going to be the kind of person that, you know, you go and you, you build a, and you dig out a bunker, like in the back of your, your house and your neighbors are wondering why you have excavators back there and you're digging some big holes and there's big piles of dirt ending up in the alleyway or in their backyard? I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to be like the, per the people that put together what's called the prepper's bag? And if, listen, if you have a prepper's bag, it's fine. It's cool. There's no problem with that. If you want to dig a bunker in your backyard, by all means, you own the yard, dig the bunker, right? But if you've got, got a prepper's bag and you want to try to prepare for the end of days, there would be a number of things that you would want to try to prepare with. Let me just give you a few of these things. And by the way, this prepper bag came from Kearney, Nebraska, and it only took me one phone call to get a prepper bag. So I know people are making these bags. It's really referred to as a bug out bag. It's the kind of a bag that you can just pick up and bug out if a catastrophe takes place, right? So what would you want in your bug out bag? Just give me, give me a few things. What would, what would you want in your bug out bag? How about, um, would you, how about, let's start with this one. How about a medical kit? Anybody want a medical kit? A medical kit, you can bandage up wounds, you can, you know, help support uh, ankles when they get, when they get uh, you know, uh, hurt. You can bandage maybe a gunshot wound or a, or a knife wound. You're going to probably want some kind, of a, some kind of a kit and you're going to want it to be large. Oh, I got, I got one here. This is a good one. Okay, you're, who's going to want a, a knife, right, and a real knife? I mean, the kind of the knife that can do some damage if you need it to, but it can also maybe like, you know, Fillet up a deer or something like that. Okay, so you're going to want to eat, so you're going to want a knife. And by the way, I have two in this one. Oh, yes, you're going to want a flashlight, right? And you're probably going to want like 12 years worth of batteries, so that's going to be heavy. Hopefully you've got some kids that can carry some backpacks with you. Um, all right, so there's, there's other things, though. What other, what other kind of things? Um, let's see. I've got, I got some other stuff in here. Um, oh, a map. Yes, a map could be good. Oh, an emergency blanket. Emergency blanket, right? Because you just never know. It might be chilly outside when you have to flee. Or little hand warmers. Does anybody need a hand warmer right now? Do I see people? We got some people that need some hand warmers? Okay. Well, you have to come up on the stage and get them. Um, all right. Oh, oh, how about food? What about food? People with food? Yes. 
I got some freeze-dried food inside of this thing, man, so that I can just eat like a king, because you know those things are good. And you can't forget, you're going to have to have some of these things probably. You're going to have to have, now there's no ammo in these, there's no gun. I know everyone's like, oh, now it's boring. So you're going to have to have some clips, because you're going to have to have some weapons, you're going to have to have some ammo, you're going to have to have some stuff to defend yourself with. I mean, there's, go, there's a lot that goes into this kind of a thing. A lot of detail go into that. You can go, if you want to, you could go buy a cabin out in the middle of nowhere and go off the grid. Maybe, you, maybe your plan is to go buy a bunch of gold and have gold bars so that at the end of the end of days that you can still, you know, work in the economy. People are trying all different types of things. You see it written online. You hear, you hear about it. There's TV shows. There's news shows. There's all kinds of stuff that's stirring up the end of days. You know, the thought that hits me is this. What if, since we know we, we live in the end of days, what if we prepared our spiritual character for the end of days more so than we prepared for a bug out bag? We put a lot of detail into a bug out bag. What if we put that same kind of detail into the spiritual character that we would need? Because one thing that I know about the end of days is this. You and me are just not going to know all the details. But one thing that the Bible does give us very clearly that you don't have to have a theology degree on to understand, and you don't have to have the Webster's Dictionary memorized to understand, is when it defines what the character of man will be like at the end of days. That's one thing that the Bible just jumps right off the page, and it gives us very clearly. And so I want to take the character of what man will look like and compare that then to what a Christ-centered character would need to look like at the end of days. And let's work on trying to prepare a Christ-centered character for the end of days, more so than we would prepare any other, you know, fleshly or materialistic item, whatever it is that you want to do for that. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do on that thing, all right? Everyone's going to do different things. It doesn't even matter what you do. What really matters is this. You can win the battle but still lose your life. I want, to, I want to win my life. I might lose a couple of battles. Winning my life means I'm spending eternity with God in heaven. And that means I have to care more about spiritual character than I do manly character. So here's what Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 3 when he talks about the end of days. And he says, Timothy, beware. This will be the character of man. We can know this for sure. He says, for people will, they'll do these things. They'll love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. And he continues, they will consider nothing sacred. So if we're going to focus about on, in this teaching series, about the spiritual character of the heart of man and woman in the end of days, and what that needs to look like, we're going to go to scriptures like 2 Timothy, and that's where we're going to focus. So if you would be reading 2 Timothy chapter 3 over and over again throughout this month, it's really going to help you grab the context of this, of this sermon series. So here's the first thing that we see taking place. If you want to have a Christ-centered character versus a man-centered character at the end of days, is that you have to live with outward focus. You have to live with an outward focus instead of an inward focus. I mean, if you remember what the verse said in, in uh, verse 2, it used these words right at the beginning. For people in the end of days, they will love only themselves and their money. They'll love only themselves and their money. 
But you can only stand in front of the mirror so long and look at yourself and go, you are amazing. You are beautiful. You are incredible. Before it just gets weird. You know what I'm saying? And it just gets weird. You can only do that so long, but in the end of days, the character of man, not the Christ-centered character, the character of man is going to be looking at himself and going, you are incredible, you are amazing. And as weird as it sounds, that's what man thinks. And don't you sense that ever increasing in the world in which we live in? It is me-centric world. It's me at the center instead of you at the center, God at the center. It's just me at the center. And so Paul is writing here to Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, coach your church on this. Tell your church, live outward focused, not self-absorbed. Outward focus. Live outward focus and not selfish. Paul says, Timothy, and he says to Jeff, coach your church, tell them, encourage them, inspire them, challenge them, rebuke them if necessary. It's not about just you. It's about living for a cause. And that cause has to be Christ-centered. If you want to have, have Christ-centered character in your life, then your cause that you live for has to be Christ-centered. It can't be man-centered. It has to be more about how I can bless someone else, how I can take care of the needs of others. It gets to that point even when he's dealing with the money. It's about the generosity and how we support one another and how we come alongside and care for one another's needs. I can have compassion for every need that's in this room right now, but it doesn't mean I can reach it. It doesn't mean that I can, you know, do anything about it. I can only, I can only affect so many needs that are around me. So my question to you is this. You can't fix the, 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 the problems of the world but can you at least be a part of helping to supply the needs that are needed for the issues that are right around you in your immediate circle of influence? Yes. And that's what a Christ-centered follower at the end of days does. They look for the need and they step up to the plate and they start helping to meet it instead of it's just me and what makes me happy. He would also say these words about the loving of money. He would say, live with an outward focus and let God become your manager of your money. Let God become the manager of it. That would mean that you would give control of it to God and let God decide how you're going to utilize it and how you're going to spend it. A manager of it. We need managers, by the way, in our life. We need managers over different areas of our life. Some of you, you, you check in for work and you get paid by the hour and you got a manager that's over you. You need that manager because that manager, although he might not, she or he might not be a perfect person, you need them because they help call the shots. Some of you, you work for someone else. You might get paid in a salary, but you work for a business owner. You need that person. They're the ones that they took the, the, the risk. They took the step of faith to even create it. And so we need these kind of people. We need God to help us be a manager of our money, or I'm telling you, otherwise, you and me included, we become inward focused. And we start just trying to take care of ourselves, our needs, our issues. And every time we get a raise, it just becomes another way for us to expand our spending. And our spending just keeps expanding to match our income. I was just with a man by the name of Wes Stadford, 
He is the CEO emeritus of Compassion International. And while we were talking, he said some things that just started to make my mind spin. I thought this would be a great moment for me to share a couple of these thoughts just with you and just see how they impact you. As we were talking, he said, he said, one of the issues, Jeff, that I, I see with the church is that the church and Christians have to come to a point where they realize what enough is. What enough is. I said, well, define what it means, enough. He goes, it's somewhere between, you know, not having enough and having too much. That's enough. I go, well, man, that's a hard thing to define, you know, if you want to throw it out there, because that's going to become fairly religious and legalistic if I, as a leader, step up to the plate and I tell people what enough is. He goes, I know, that's where men, that's where men and women have to be led by God's Spirit to understand what a biblical lifestyle is, and for them, what God's called them to, to define as enough. I go, okay, well, if we could help a church understand what enough is, then what do they do? He goes, then the rest of it gets used to advance God's kingdom. Somewhere along the line, you and me have to let God be our manager and understand what enough is, and you draw the line. And wherever that line gets drawn, what do we do with the rest? We use the rest to advance God's kingdom. But what is enough? Enough is gonna have to be something where you come to God and you say, God, you're the manager of my life. You're the manager of my finances. It's not about me. It's not about how I wanna spend it and what I wanna do with it. You're the one that's given it to me. So how do you want me to set this thing up? What does enough look like? Because I guarantee you many of us have crossed over the threshold of what enough is. And God's going, you're using some of what I've given you on yourself but you keep asking me for a blessing. How long will that last? So I was challenged by this. If we're gonna let God be our manager, then we've gotta to come to a place where we can define what enough is. I know that one of the best places to start with discovering, God, thank you for what you blessed me with, where is that line at of enough, is to start with tithing. When you start honoring God with the first 10% of what God's blessed you with, that's going to definitely start helping you to define from a biblical picture of what the Holy Spirit's trying to say to you of what enough is. Because some people in this room are going to live under the line of poverty, but they're going to come to a conclusion that they've got enough. Praise God. Some of you are going to live middle class, and you're going to live middle class for the rest of your life because God's saying to you, that's where the line of enough is. Others of you are going to live in an upper class economically, and somewhere in that upper class, God's going to draw the line. He's going to say, that's enough. And no matter where you are in the economic scale, the, the word enough can draw a line and we can start using the resources God's given us to bless his kingdom. It starts with tithing. That's why in your bulletin, you receive this today out of North Platte, uh, down in the venue here in our main auditorium, you receive what we call the tithe challenge. The tithe challenge is a 90 day tithe challenge where you commit to tithing because you never have before or you've never participated in, in, in the sense of tithing, or you haven't done it for a long time, and you want to start again, it's a way for you to kind of couple with God, and we, we become part of the manager of that. We, we kind of help you because you, you go, I want to be held accountable to this. Um, it's a way for you to kind of say, God, I want to honor you with my finances, and I want to start allowing you to become the manager of not just the 10%, but the manager of 100%, and here's where I'm going to start. And so the Tithe Challenge works like this. You can sign up anywhere between now and the end of January. At the end of January, the Tithe Challenge gets closed. 
Once, the, once it gets closed, you start tithing for 90 days. If in those 90 days, you don't think that God is holding himself true to his, to his word, where he says in Malachi to test him and to see if tithing works. If you think God's not following through and he's not a, he's not a God of his character, then you can let Rihanna know in our office. Uh, she's our accountant. She'll be the one that's got the contract, you know, with you and God. And you can just say, Rihanna, I want, I want all of my tithe back. I don't think this is working. And she'll write you a check. No one will know the difference, and off we go, and it's fine. I won't know how much you're giving, although I've asked Rihanna to give me your name because I want to pray for you, and that's it. That is it. We just want to pray for you, and we want to support you in that manner. Um, as, just a, as a man that, that is a spiritual leader, I want to pray for you. My challenge to you is this. Take the step of faith. Step out, if you've never tithed before, and start letting God be the manager of your money. Otherwise, otherwise I'm just going to tell you right now, straightforward. You're doomed to live and to become the character of man in the end of days versus having the character of Christ. I don't know how else to say it to you. You're living with the character of man versus the character of Christ. Now that's not to put any guilt on you. That's just to be the guy who just lays out God's word and just says it the way it is. I want you to be a church that has the character of Christ versus the character of man. This is one way to do it. Paul also goes on, though, to Timothy, and he basically tells him this. If you want to have the character of Christ at the end of days versus the character of man, then you would have to be this. You'd have to live humble. He said it this way in verse 2, that they, at the end of days, the people that live with the character of man, that they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and even ungrateful. Ungrateful. So how can you have, in the midst of this chaotic world that we live in, how can you live humble? Well, first off, do this. Guard your heart against a self-inflated achievement mentality. Guard your heart against this self-inflated achievement mentality. Like, look what I've built. Look what I've done. Even things that sound great, like, look at my kids and, you know, how well I raised them and they've all gone off to college and they're married and they're having kids. Look at all, look how, look how well I've done. I mean, even things that sound good, be careful of the self-inflated achievement because that's the character of man. Instead, humble yourself and recognize, God, you are the one who's given me all these great things. You're the one that's helped me build this business. You're the one that's helped me raise these children. God, you're the one that's helped me with my finance. You're the one that's done it all. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before God. That's the, the spiritual character of man at the end of days. The other one would be this. Guard, guard yourself against the pride of knowledge. Look at how smart I am. <laughs> I mean, look what I've learned. At this day and age in which we live, and I've Googled all these things, and my knowledge base is, is bursting at the seams. Look at how many college degrees that I have. Look at my experience and what I've achieved. Instead, humble yourself and realize, God, wherever you have me and whoever you have me around, you just might be wanting to teach me your ways instead of me thinking I already know all of your ways. And that means this, moms and dads, you can learn, you can learn God's ways by watching your kids. That's backwards. You mean you just don't have to learn God's ways when you come here. That means you just don't have to learn God's ways when you open up your, open up your Bible and you start reading it. You can, start, you can learn God's ways watching your kids play. The Holy Spirit can speak to you and say something to you. If, you're, if you work in any kind of industry that deals with customers, you can learn God's ways by a comment that a customer gives you. And it might not be, it might not be one you wanted to hear, 
But it could be something that God's trying to teach you his ways. You can, you can start learning God's ways in a situation when you're, you might be around a different people from a different culture and a different background. And God might be speaking to you and saying, there's something I want you to learn from these people. Oh, you think that they don't have a lot, but they've got everything they need because it's about their heart. And God can teach you his ways if you would humble yourself and not have this egotistical, arrogant attitude that stinks. If we'll just humble ourselves and open our eyes up and say, God, I don't claim to know anything but what you have shown me. And may you continue to show me your ways. That's the character of a spiritual man at the end of days versus the character of man at the end of days. The other thing about being humble, though, would be this. Guard yourself against the lack, a lack of spiritual authority. One of the things that that passage just said was that at the end of days, the character of man will be disobedient to his parents and ungrateful. As long as you and me have parents and they're alive on this earth, we're still to be obedient to them. We're still supposed to honor them. That's what it's meaning. Honor them. Show respect to them. Show reverence to them. Give them favor. But did you realize that that also could be referring to the way that you look at your employer or the way that you look at our government or the way that you look at a spiritual leader? I know it's all too easy. The character of man at the end of days seems like he is brutal to an employer. He'll throw an employer and a manager under the bus in a second in a break room. He'll, he'll destroy him, you know, with his words, sitting around at a restaurant with a bunch of coworkers. Not to mention the way that the world is, oh, and by the way, the church is, even in what we say about our own government and what we say about the authorities that are over us. You may not like them, but God's word says he's the one who put them there and he gives us a command not to destroy them, but to pray for them. It's not easy. The character of man destroys. The character of godly men protects, prays, and doesn't defame. That's a radical difference, guys, in the world that we live in. That draws a line of demarcation right down the sand, and it says, which one are you going to be? The character of man or the Christ-centered character? I think that's, I think we already know who we want to be. But lastly, Paul comes right out of the chutes and he makes a massive statement. And he says this, if you want to have a Christ-centered character at the end of days, live sacred. Live sacred. Why? Because he says the character of man at the end of days will consider nothing to be sacred. Now, now, I know we don't use the word sacred very much, so let me help you understand what it was that he was trying to say about the character of man at the end of days in which you and me live in. He was basically saying this, they will consider nothing to be connected with God. Nothing is connected with God. Doesn't that just scream independence? Doesn't that just scream a you know, self-absorbed, selfish lifestyle that nothing is connected with God? And if you also want to continue to define what it means to not see anything as sacred, it would also mean this, that the, the character of man and these days in which you and me live, they think that nothing has a religious purpose. They don't see anything having any kind of Christ-centered purpose. So in light of that, how should we live? We should live sacred. We should look at our lives and see all of the connectedness that God has. 
and how God cares about the smallest of things to the greatest of things, and how God's connected in every single thing that we've done and that we are and that we're going to be. God is in complete control. That's what a Christ-centered charactered man sounds like. He recognizes God's connectivity in his life and in the life of his family and in the life of his work and in the life of his finances and everything. God, you're connected with it all. And it's more healthy, by the way, when you're connected. The Christ-centered man also sees Christ's purpose in all things, even the difficult moments, not just the mountaintop moments. I see Christ's purpose in my suffering. I see Christ's purpose in my victory. What does is, what is the, the character of man do at the end of days? He mocks God. He points his finger towards God and he says, you must have given up on me. Oh, you, you must not exist because I'm going through this difficult moment. Oh, what does the heart of the character of man do at the end of days? He turns to God and he goes, look at the mountaintop that I've climbed. No, the godly, Christ-centered character man says, God, you have a purpose in all things. I praise you for the mountaintops that you put me on. And I praise you for the valleys that you hold onto my hand and you walk me through. Big difference between those two. And every one of those points could be extrapolated out even farther. But that's the desire. That's where God's called us to. I want to I want to finish as we've been looking at some of what Paul wrote to Timothy, but we've also been looking at what Peter wrote. We looked at two of those things. I want to end today's message, end of days part one. I want to end it with this passage from Peter as he gives us one last concept of what the end of days is like. He says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Those people will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. You have two choices today. In these end of days in which we live, you can, you can drift more to be the scoffer and the mocker of truth, or you can be the one that stays faithful to the end. One thing I know for certain is what the character of man is like at the end of days and that Jesus is still on the throne and one day he's coming back. And don't lose hope. Don't look at this world and don't get caught up in all the little details and the multimedia that we have. We can get news feeds from all, all around the world at just a, at a snap of a finger. Don't get caught up in all of the chaos that's going on. Don't get caught up in all of the, the wars and the rumors of wars and the famines and the earthquakes. Don't get caught up in all the killings and the shootings and the terrorism and the ISIS and all of those types of things. Don't get caught up in that. Your hope's not found in those things. Your hope is found in the fact that Jesus Jesus is on the throne. He is king. He ascended into heaven. And at the end of days, at the end of days, he's coming back. That tells me he's still in control. He's still in control. Don't lose hope. Don't become the scoffer, the mocker. Be the person that keeps your eyes fixed on Christ. You can pack a prepper's bag if you want to. 
the resources in that bag are going to run out. You'd realize that, right? Or you can pack a spiritual character heart. Those resources never run out. That you can take to the bank. It'll cash. It'll cash into eternal life. Nothing else will. Nothing else will. Let's put our hope in Christ. Let's start by taking the next few minutes and worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because no matter what our world looks like, he is still on the throne and he's coming back. Why don't you stand with me and let's worship. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we know it's at the name of Jesus that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Lord, we refuse to become a people that are the mockers and the scoffers of the truth. But instead, we choose to be followers of the truth. Following Christ, keeping our eyes fixed on the prize the entire time. Lord, we want to be people that live a humble life before you. We want to be people, Lord, that that live an an outward-focused life, giving, giving away what you've blessed us with. Ultimately, Lord, we want to live a sacred life, putting you first above all things, worshiping your name above every other name. Lord, that's what we come to do at this very moment in North Platte, down in the venue, here in our main auditorium. We humble ourselves before you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we choose to worship you. May you build in us a Christ-centered character, and may you eradicate from us the character of this world, the character of man, piece by piece, belief by belief, attitude by attitude. Pull them out of us. Show them to us. God, we'll come to the altar. We'll repent. We'll kneel down. We'll worship you. Because, God, we want to have, at, the, at, the, at these end of days, we want to have the character of Christ. May you build that in this amazing church and in these amazing people. In Jesus' name, amen.